And then I, I thought to myself, there's so many people that are, you know, that, that need an outlet. So again, what, what was missing during this time in media coverage? Because all you hear about media coverage is if windows were broken or how many people were at a protest. And there, there was just so much that was missing about why this is taking place and how people were feeling on a, on a human level. And so I reached out to about, I don't know, 75, 70 to 75 of uh, my friends and, and people that I thought would have a voice on this. And, and, I, and I basically said, hey, I would love to get an essay from you about anything you want to talk about in 2020 that's a reflection of our time in Richmond. Um, the thing that you're thinking about the most, whether that was coronavirus or civil unrest or monuments or education or your children or raising your children, what do you what is at top of mind for you and how do you how do we get that voice out there? This is the 40 Lessons Podcast. We are at episode 60, and this is our final episode of this current season. My name is Todd B. Waldo. Thank you, as always, for checking out 40 Lessons. If you missed any of the conversations that we've had this season, go back, check out some of the previous episodes. For this one, to finish it all out, I have called upon my man Mark Cheatham Cheats, the Cheats Movement. He's the creator of the Cheats Movement, and it, if you have not checked out Cheats Movement, if you do not follow them, make sure you start doing that because there's a lot of dope content around music, art, culture, diversity. Uh, they have their new voices project that's happening, so make sure you check out the Cheats Movement. So we talked a lot about that. We talked about you know his journey through hip-hop. We talked about the impact of this year and what it's had on him as a dad, as a husband, as a professional. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Make sure after that you stay tuned because I got to tell you about Virginia's Center for Inclusive Communities, our nonprofit spotlight for this episode. So let's get into it. Mark Cheatham of the Cheats Movement here on the 40 Lessons Podcast. It's another Saturday morning. I am in Churchill. I am on Zoom I'm really excited about this one because it's been a long time coming, and finally, Cheats is in the building, in his home, <laughs> streaming to my house. We're spending Saturday morning together. What's up, Cheats? What's good, Todd? It's a, it's a 2020 Saturday morning. <laughs> um, Mark Cheatham, Cheats movement. I'm actually, man. If you see, I like I'm wearing like the old school. Oh, oh, we I'm see repping. it. We see it. We see it, bro. I'm wearing the we old see school. It. And I'm waiting for my new T-shirt. It's going to come in the mail at some point. I made it this time. I missed the last production run. But you're like, hey, Friday, we're going to put up the Monument shirts again. So like, I set a reminder on my phone. Like, I'm, I was like, I'm getting a shirt this time. I'm not going to miss it. Well, let me. Uh, all right. I got you. No, one way or the other. <laughs> I got you. So I'm trying to think. I usually know the friends that have the that place the orders because I right. try to make sure that. Um, one way or the other, they're taken care of. So I'll uh, I'll look, check the orders yeah, look at the end me. of the. I'll <laughs> check the orders at the end of the, the 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 conversation here and make sure you're good to go. I appreciate that. 
you, you are one of those people. Um, so I, I had Duran on last week. Um, you're, you're like him and that you are so authentic to who you are and how you're living Richmond, the work that you do. And I, w- I was, I was wondering about how you see yourself. Like you are absolutely a leader in this community. You are a voice in this community. Do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself no. as our advocate? Like, cause, cause like, first I think and people- foremost, not at all. <laughs> and, and sometimes that, I guess sometimes that does get me in trouble. Um, in the sense of when, um, when, you should be saying certain things or doing certain things, but I, I've never really viewed myself that way. Um, I, I think what worked best for me and the way I kind of put everything in perspective for myself and what the cheats movement has done is we saw a void. I saw a void when I started the blog, which mm. was now going on nearly 10 years ago. It'll mm. be 10 years next year that our people, uh, black and brown people, people that were in a hip-hop culture, people of a certain age demographic, mm-hmm. were not being represented in the media the way that I saw they should be represented, whether it's arts, culture, community, music. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do at that time, especially on the hip-hop side of things and on the arts and culture side of things, was just give credence and give an uh, outlet and a, and a digital platform that represented that particular spectrum of arts and culture and community. Um, And it was the, and it was, I think it worked for me because it was something I was living. It wasn't something that I had to go do a bunch of research on. Mm -hmm. It was literally just bring a camera to my friend's rap show (laughs) or bring a camera to my friend's art opening or go to first Fridays and do these things that we were living. And what I found out was that there was a significant void in uh, Richmond's media when it came to those types of highlighting those types of issues. Now, you got to think 10 years ago, mm-hmm. this is before all the murals, this is before all the street art festivals. Mm-hmm. This was a really a, almost at the coming of age of all of these things. And by doing that, by putting a journalistic, if you will, kind of opinion, artistic, a newsy approach to some of the things that were happening in the community. Um, a lot of people just responded very positive, uh, positive to that blog, mm-hmm. to the, to the cheats movement blog, the original iteration of it. And then what happened over time, uh, as you get older, we evolved 10 years was, this is 10 years between just to be frank, uh, you know, 30 and 40, right? Mm-hmm. Like 31 and 41. This is, that was this 10 years. Yeah. I get, I get married, I have a kid, I'm starting to think about different issues, mm-hmm. you know, I've always had uh, a professional background in politics and, and, and public service. So those things started weaving their way into hip hop, arts and culture, blah. And, we, and I realized probably around the five year mark that there was also a void in media coverage mm. for our community our age demographic, black and brown folks, to to talk about education in the black community, to talk about things that would be a little bit more heady than your your latest album review. Mm-hmm. But it all worked. But it was all things that, again, that we were kind of living at the time. All of us were living at the time and still are to an extent. And um, without those types of outlets that really spoke to 
you know, this particular section of Richmond, which I, I mean, not to toot that horn too much, but, but I mean, God, it's an amazing section of Richmond. It's probably, I think, one of the most uh, impressive, flourishing in regards to arts and culture and community. Mm-hmm. It, it may not necessarily be because, it, we're, again, we're talking about black and brown people uh, in Richmond. Mm-hmm. So it may not necessarily have the backing of, say, microbreweries, or it may not have, uh, you know, a bunch of dollars that were invested in it. But what, what, you know, what these creatives at the time were doing and the way they've evolved over the last 10 years, now they do have a, some of that opportunity. But to be on the ground floor of that, and I always tell people all the time, you don't necessarily have to be the best. Yeah. Uh, you have to be early. <laughs> you have to be one of the first. And and, and the Cheats Movement blog was one of the first at the time to really capture that imagery in Richmond. And, and that has called, catapulted the blog and the brand, if you will, and myself to do a bunch of things that I never thought I'd be able to do. Didn't even think about doing collaborations and partnerships and projects that I never thought I'd be able to do. But it all started with, hey, look, there is no one talking about this particular community, this particular scene. And by the time it, it finished, it was well beyond arts and culture and music to basically all of Richmond concerns for mm-hmm. for kind of middle-aged black and brown folks. And it, it sounds uh, comical in many ways that, uh, you know, that a blog is able to to kind of highlight some of that stuff. And at the same time, I often think about how um, kind of sad it is that we yeah. don't have enough um, outlets that speak to this particular demographic, this particular scene, this particular age, because I really do think it's a big, big part of Richmond. We we have to go to majority led locations, voices, institutions, periodicals, all these places that don't really understand us. Not deeply. They might get a little bit. But what you're able to do, you're able to tap into a very lived experience. But like you study this stuff too. Like but give just given your education and your career, like you have a very good lens and what's like what's really going on. And I think you infuse that into your work. So it's not just you sitting down with a politician having a conversation. Like you get the systemic problems, you get the very lived experience of people in Richmond who are suffering and who are victims of violence. Like you get all of that and you put that into your into your work. And that's what we need. Like I think that's the kind of voice that we need so that we are well informed and prepared. Uh is that is that the end goal for you? Like, is it just about like is the reach of Cheats Movement? You should just know what's up. Like, we are an informative institution. That's what we do. Is that the, or is it something bigger, deeper that you want to happen in people? No, I mean, I think it on the surface it is really the. It, it's almost like a mirror in many ways because hmm. it's it's. Almost for the most part, it's changed a little bit as the years gone by, but it's pretty much a one-man operation, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a lens on what I see, for better or for worse. And so um, at certain times, it's different. It's different things for different days, and I try not to get too deep into too much of it. Um, there's certain projects that I get deep on, but without my wife hates when I say this because she always tells me like, "What is cool." But I'm always like, hey, man, I just want to highlight cool stuff. Yeah, I just I just want if something really cool. If I see a sneaker I like, sometimes I post it 
and I and I want people to see this cool sneaker. If I go to a cool show, mm-hmm. I want people to know that this is happening in Richmond. If I see, um, you know, three black women starting a nonprofit that I think is amazing, I want to highlight that. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell folks, it's like, I also, one of the, I think the things that have helped me is that I understand my limitations and I understand that it's not everyone's cup of tea, Mm -hmm. especially what I'm interested in is not, may not be someone, not everyone's cup of tea, but what I've been able to kind of highlight is that there are really, really uh, amazing things happening culturally and community uh, with community enrichment. And then, um, there are really cool things that are happening that may not necessarily be catered to black and brown Richmonders, yet we should have a space in those things. Uh, one of the things I've mm. taken a great pride in is we were the first hip hop show at Hardywood. We were the first mm. hip hop show, you know, at the time to do something major at the VMFA. We like it wasn't an average. If if we were bringing something to the table, mm-hmm. the idea was what hasn't been done before, and how can we get our culture into spaces that we know um, maybe have an appetite, but just don't have an avenue. Um, And and it was just one of those things where I wanted to push the envelope in Richmond for uh, hip hop culture, hip hop art, um, you know, hip hop business, if Mm -hmm. I can put a collaboration together. And it was, it was always those things that seemed to work. Um, And that was early on. And, And as we say now, like you were talking about, um, the Noah, Noah Scalin collaboration on the No Monument shirts. There are certain things, whether it was opinion pieces that were written on the site or, or statements that were um, released through products or things to that nature, where you know we're, we're seeing what I think is the landscape of the community mm-hmm. and very. I thought it, I felt like it was almost a duty of ours to to start to advocate on some of those things, whether it was the removal of Confederate monuments or just, Hey, look, I'm not going to this restaurant anymore because mm-hmm. my friends weren't treated well there yeah. or historically black people weren't treated well there. Yeah. Or there's a crazy dress code policy. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is clearly right. racist. And if you right. don't understand why, here's why. Yeah. And I think what works and what you're alluding to is the, the approach that we take on the blog and the approach that I take as a person, if you see me on the street, it's always to say, Hey, look, this is how I'm feeling. And this is why first. And, I, and it's not, I try not to uh, give, you know, I, I try to use it, I guess the best way it is. I'm a social, social worker by, tr- uh, by degree, not by trade, but my degrees in social work. And I try to lead with I statements, even if I'm writing an editorial, like mm-hmm. this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. You may not feel this way, but this is exactly why I, I found by doing that, um, it, it, it makes for more collaborative conversations. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to you and saying, you know, your dress code is racist, tear it down. I'll probably say, hey, look, I'm not going to go to your place because of this dress code because it makes me feel this way. Yeah. And then if they don't get it after that, then I'll be like, hey, look, let me tell you why your dress code is racist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, uh, it, it's always been for me, let's, let's highlight cool stuff. Let's work with people that want, you know, that, that we want to work with that we may not have an avenue to let's push the envelope. Let's keep doing new things. And, and, and as years gone by, especially in 2020, there's not as much of that, that I can do traditionally. 
So now it is the, the site's a little bit different now, and it, it's taken a little bit more of a tone of highlighting what's happening um, in the community, usually viewed by other people, um, and, and trying to get as many people's perspectives on the site as possible uh, about what's going on in the climate of 2020. Yeah. But up into up into this year, it, it really has been um, just kind of. Let's let's highlight what I think is the best of, of Richmond community and culture in the way that I see it, um, in a way that we everybody feels is entertaining and, and journalistic too. I think that's a that's the point. A lot of folks ask me about blogging all the time or writing or running a website, and one of the things that I always tell them is that if you want to be considered mainstream or if you want to be on par with some of the other publications in Richmond, you see, you have to make your product look that way. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the, the, the site has always aesthetically looked almost like a professional news site. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's evolved over the years and it's gotten better, but it's not something where people look at and say, Oh, this needs to be dismissed on, mm. on, on surface. And there's a lot of, um, especially it's a little bit easier now with, uh, um, the way that you can kind of build your own website. But early on, that was a big challenge, just mm. making it look aesthetically pleasing and user-friendly. Mm -hmm. And those are things that um, we really put a lot of effort in. And and I think it's paid off. I don't think I've ever asked you this question or had this discussion with you. Hip-hop is your life. What, <laughs> right? You, you are, right? Uh, you're, you're a Knicks fan. We're both Knicks fans. So we suffered through being fans of, of the Knicks. All right, yeah. so like hip hop, for, and I grew up, you know, outside of New York, and so me and the Knicks and hip hop and all that. Like, I have a very particular beginning with hip hop. Sure. Where Where does it start for you? Like, where? What tape? What did you see? And you were like, "That I am all about this artist, this song." What's the roots of your of your life in hip hop? Where's this? Where does this well, begin? That's funny because I think this is going to expose me quite a bit. Um, <laughs> It really is because I grew up with probably hip hop being the soundtrack, right, of everything that I, you know, at least through middle school on, mm -hmm. maybe even earlier, hip hop was kind of the soundtrack in the background of everything that me and my friends did. We played a lot of sports, um, a lot of community activities. So hip hop was always there. Mm -hmm. Being kind of immersed in hip-hop the way that i am now or being even a fan and actually doing research and reading books and things of that nature on how people kind of cover hip-hop and so forth i missed all of that i graduated in 96 and i will tell you i missed that whole like i'm talking about like really being into it yeah and i looked back probably again you know, probably about five years ago or four years ago and thought to myself, what the hell was I doing in the 90s? Like, what was I doing? Yeah. Because all of these things were going on. Yeah. I didn't I never went to New York until I was in college. Yeah. Like I, I but I like if I if it would have been my focus about like the early stages of uh, even not even the early stages, but in the 90s to really get into it the way I, I, I am now. And this goes the same for some of the like the streetwear culture and things like I was like, what was I doing? I was, <laughs> you know, I was playing sports with my friends again. It, those tapes would be in the background. Yeah. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't that way. And, 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 and to be a complete honest, I'm really going to expose myself now. 
I didn't become a Knicks fan until, and I'm a big Knicks fan now. I didn't become a Knicks fan until 2005. Oh, so, so it's only like 15 years now, <laughs> yeah. right? And it's and it's been horrible. You it's been the misery <laughs> years. Like I missed all the Pat Ewing stuff. I oh. missed all the great the Charles Oakley. Like I didn't miss it. I was, but I wasn't invested. Yeah, right. I I remember when the the uh you know the Bulls and the Knicks were really, but I wasn't invested. Mm. I didn't get invested until like the Isaiah Thomas years, which were awful. You picked like, a Steve, horrible time. A horrible time. <laughs> Like, horrible time when, like, Isaiah Thomas was like, hey, Jared Jeffries is going to change the program. And you're like, what? <laughs> Long story short. So, um, I I was a bad boy guy. So, I do remember if I had an allegiance to anyone. And, mm-hmm. this, and people that know me will actually say that this fits. This is fitting. Because yeah. they, they think I'm corny. And I know that. And they think Puffy was extremely corny at the time. Yeah. And... Puffy was like my guy. Mm-hmm. So so when Puff was at the height of Bad Boy, and they and, and I mean they had Big and they had the Locks and they had Mace and he just kept going. I was always drawn to how like cool to me, how cool he made everything. Mm. And how he was like, yo, it didn't matter if it was Hove like on on Hove's way up. Yeah. If it was Missy Elliott, like anything that Puff touched, if it was big, it got it just got better. Like it got bigger, and so I was and I, and this is probably again subconsciously something that now that I'm kind of processing because I knew at the time that Puff wasn't a good rapper. Mm-hmm. I just knew that he was around and made everything cooler. Yeah. And I was so drawn to that. So that whole Bad Boy movement and um. I have an older brother, and me and my older brother fight about everything. I mean, like everything. He's a <laughs> Laker fan. I'm a Knicks fan. He's a uh, he's a Cowboy fan. I'm a Washington fan, begrudgingly. Um, and so he was a Tupac guy. Uh-huh. So everything that he did was Tupac, Tupac, Tupac. And I was a Biggie guy. I had Biggie and Puffy on my wall. I had the Vibe magazine. Uh, I guess it was the Vibe magazine on the cover mm-hmm. that had Puffy and Biggie on the cover. And so we would argue about that as well, just growing up. And I was like, Big is the best. And he was like, uh, Tupac is the best. And so that's probably kind of the first real, like, hip-hop movement I got into. Mm-hmm. And then, because we still got to think, this was mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Wu-Tang and those guys came in 92. And so I remember that wave, like 92, 93, that wave. Um, but after that, I, I, I really, like... All the Rockefeller stuff. I, I could tell you, I'm pretty much a Rockefeller historian. Yeah. Um, all the Dipset stuff, all the G Unit stuff that came. All, so mostly at East Coast. I was big on the East Coast wave. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely sad, but appreciative when like the South came and took everything. Um, when that, you know, when No Limit and Cash Money and, mm-hmm. you know, Outcast and all of them took it. Like, I mean, I, I, I understood the music. But I, I'm still like to this day an East Coast hip hop boom bap guy. Yeah. And uh, so Bad Boy was the first movement for sure. Um, everything that Rockefeller touched, I was into um, everything. And Dipset came, like I said, G Unit came, uh, Fat Joe. I'm huge into, you know, I'm still into Terror Squad to this day. Yeah. Um, so it's like, 
those were kind of my my hip hop homes, mm-hmm. and and I've been fortunate enough to tell you once I got once I really got into it and got older and got uh, wiser and, and started going back and saying, oh, this was amazing, um, like, like tribe all the tribe stuff mm-hmm. when you go back and listen to what tribe has done throughout their career all the beastie boy stuff beastie boys are slept on but the beastie boy stuff um from really licensed to ill on mm-hmm. like they like, there's not really a whack album in there like there, there's no not a lot of misses when you talk about like tribe beastie boys the roots um but yeah i i, I loved all of that and I, I didn't get into it until much much older and i go back and i read books about that time period Mm -hmm. and i love it i love reading those books and it also makes me so sad that like this was happening like the tunnel was happening and i was you know i could have went to the tunnel i was 19 i could have been 18 19 years old and if i was just on it i'd have been like let's go i might not have made it out (laughs) i might not have made it out of the latin quarter but i could have went at a certain age period you know and I didn't. I didn't. I'll be the first to admit I didn't. So that's a part of me is is why I, I do feel it's so important to support independent artists now and, and, and support as, you know independent shows now and tell people that they're happening and they're really amazing because we do have a scene here in Richmond that's really, really thriving. Yeah. And I, there's going to be a lot of people that I think miss out on it. Like they just don't know it exists. Did you appreciate... Um... So the Netflix documentary, and so they had the episode that focused on the South, and so <laughs> yeah. yeah, like we got skills. you know like skills, skills you know skills was on yeah. it, you know Tim's we got to hear about Missy and Pharrell and all that. Yeah, were you like did, were you aware of like like this is like these are artists who are distinctly just different than what's come out of VA before? Clips like, was the first to me. Uh, I knew Matt's. I knew skills existed. Yeah, I knew Matt's skills existed. But when Clips hit, uh, when that Clips debut album hit, I remember watching it with my older brother. And both of us were like, where are those brothers from? And they turned out they were from Virginia. Yeah. And, like, Missy and Tim, I think, we, you know, we kind of always knew Neptunes because, mm-hmm. you know, Pharrell jumped off of the Neptunes first. We kind of knew they were all Virginia Beach. But it wasn't like, I, yeah, I don't think I absorbed it until that, that Clips joint came came out. And that that did take when clips came, it just took off, yeah. right? So we we knew Virginia. <laughs> I think one of the things too that being a Virginian, um, and and, it, and definitely in my age, mm-hmm. we take first we take some of this stuff for granted. We, I mean, I know Virginia is dope, like I know it. Yeah. But when you really start to take it off about how dope Virginia is. And especially, like you said, that that Hampton Roads, Virginia Beach area. But it's like you could argue, <laughs> talent-wise, mm-hmm. we have, you know, a, one of the top five basketball players of all time in Iverson. One of the, mm. you know, talent-wise or just movement-wise, culturally-wise, whatever you think about Michael Vick. Like there was, mm-hmm. th- there changed the game of way that the modern-day quarterback is played. Yep. And then you have Pharrell and Missy and Timbaland. And Timbaland is arguably the greatest producer of all time. So, like, Virginia, from top to bottom, we're just, I think we're used to, we take for granted how kind of dope certain things are that come out of Virginia, and it, and, it, and it's um, something I take great pride in. And, again, uh, 
I was late coming around to to skills and, and all the stuff that he did and pioneered. Um, but when you really look at skills career mm-hmm. uh, again to this day, some of the stuff that he's written, um, some of the stuff that he's done, some of the places that he's been, that's just insane to me yeah. that like, you have a literally a walking encyclopedia and someone that really at this stage in his life and his career wants to educate. Yeah. So, I mean, we're like rich Virginia holds it down. Richmond holds it down. Um, um, but yeah, I, I don't think at the time when you're living certain things, you don't necessarily appreciate it. You just kind of go through it. Yeah. And is there, I, is I think it, that's happened a lot. Is there a particular dopeness to just to Richmond, like Richmond music, Richmond hip hop, Richmond artists, is there a, a particular voice or tone? Like, is there something that's authentically Richmond that when folks hear it, be like, "Yep, yeah, oh, that's that Richmond sound." Yeah, not so, not like Go Go, right? So there's mm-hmm. not like not like Go Go is to DC mm-hmm. or like uh, bounces to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. I think we have some of the most talented lyricists. Like, and I'm talking about like lyricists that could hold up in the '90s to today. Um, that come out of Richmond. Like if I don't like if everybody's doing kind of a, a trap wave or a bounce wave or a kind of a chant wave, mm-hmm. that stuff is pretty easy universally. I think lyricism is difficult. Yeah. Like who's going to be the big pun type of lyricist type guy. And I think Richmond has a lot of those. And I think Richmond does that really, really well. Mm-hmm. Like they do lyricism. Richmond does lyricism really, really well. Now the challenge is, in 2020, lyricism isn't the, at the top of what you know gets more commercialized and what sells. Even though I, I say that with understanding that if you ask anyone right now, like who's some of the best rappers out, you're gonna get Kendrick, you're gonna get uh, Big Sean, you're gonna get um, J Cole, you're gonna get those are all lyricists. Right. Those are all MCs that are really big on on lyrics. And Drake can go, Meek Mill can go. Like they have a, a a more varied style of what is a hit. But if you sit down and say, okay, Drake spit, Drake can spit. Mm-hmm. Meek Mill can spit. These are, so I think lyricism always rhymes, rises to the top in hip hop. And, you know, I think Richmond has some of the best lyricists and, and they make some really good music, but it, it doesn't have a distinct sound. They could, we could be from the, anywhere from the dirty South to East coast boom bap. And it, it fits, mm-hmm. um, and and it you know we can kind of make all of that work here, and if you look at it like the Mid Atlantic DMV type, Richmond's not the DMV. DMV's a little bit higher up, but uh, you know it make it can make it all work. Yeah. Speaking of words that are important, um, if if you all have not caught wind of this new project that it's on the Chiefs movement, um, you need to catch up. So I want to talk about voices since these words matter so much. Um, 
you know, we, we've had a very different 2020 than any other year we've ever experienced in our lifetime. And um, I think one of your responses to that was this, this essay project. Um, what, was, what was your hope of this? Like, why, why, why create this space for folks to, you know, really have freedom to kind of say what they want? Like, you kept it kind of open for people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really wide open. And it, it was important because, just to be frank, I, I didn't know what to do, right? Mm. So in March, when the coronavirus really kind of hit and became real, um, I shut down the site for the first time ever. Mm. Um, and it, it was needed. It was time in the sense of I found myself in many ways kind of looking for things to write about or looking for mm. things to post about. And you never want to be in that position because – the world doesn't stop and Richmond doesn't stop. The community doesn't stop. But if you're kind of looking to, to find yourself and find some footing and find something that matters, it's never a bad thing to reset. Mm -hmm. And when March came, the coronavirus hit, nobody was going outside. Um, professionally, it was really something that I had to focus on professionally. Mm -hmm. um, it was a good time to say, Hey, look, we're going to shut this thing down and really focus on, you know, family and, and work and other things that we need to do. And so in March, I shut down the site and I put a note up that said, we'll be back. Lord knows when. And I guess I got to around June 1st. Mm -hmm. And this is after um, the murder of George Floyd and the murder of Ahmaud Aubrey and the murder of Breonna Taylor. And we're just trying to really, you know, and I saw Richmond, I saw Richmond responding mm. to, you know, civil unrest, uh, being in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And there's so much that gets tied into that. And, and, and I don't know if we have time on this particular podcast, but there are certain things that just happened because we're in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. There's so much that, that allowed, that just gave agency and license to people coming together with a lot of people out of work and a lot, like a lot of frustration. So I always, when I talk about this stuff, I always want people to, to understand that these are not isolated incidents. This is all something that comes in together. And when it got to about June 1st and I saw all of this stuff and I knew just to be frank, I wasn't at Marcus David Peters circle. Um, because again, I was <laughs> trying to protect my family yeah. from the virus, but yeah. I saw a lot of people doing certain things. And I reached out to a couple of photographers is how it started in June and said, Hey man, I see, or, or, or a woman or young lady. Um, and I saw the, the photos that they were posting on either their Instagrams or mm -hmm. through other publications. And I reached out and said, I would love to highlight your work because you are in the thick of it. Posting, doing amazing work, mm -hmm. like, award-winning photojournalism work and i wanted to to highlight that and so it started with a number of fo photo essays that was getting put up on the site probably around june 1st <clears throat> and then I, I thought to myself there's so many people that are you know that, that need an outlet so again wh what was missing during this time in media coverage, because mm -hmm. all you hear about the media coverage is if windows were broken or how many people were at a protest. Mm -hmm. And there, there was just so much that was missing about why this is taking place and how people were feeling on a, on a human level. And so I reached out to about 
I don't know, 75, 70 to 75 of uh, my friends and, and people that I thought would have a voice on this. And, and, I, and I basically said, hey, I would love to get an essay from you about anything you want to talk about in 2020 that's a reflection of our time in Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that you're thinking about the most, whether that was coronavirus or civil unrest or monuments or education or your children or raising your children, what, do you, what is at top of mind for you? And how do, you, how do we get that voice out there? And so initially to that response, it was extremely positive. We're up to about, I think we're over 20 essays now, approaching 25 essays, all different types of topics. We have all different types of Richmonders, all different types of people from the Richmond region. And certain things are on reparations. Certain things are on why families marching, um, essays on getting tear gassed at Marcus David Peters Circle, everything that is imaginable that people can can talk about what you know whether it's the coronavirus and raising children or how richmond is going to approach economic redevelopment all of those are fitting in the essay series uh in the voices series and it's actually given people a chance to read how their community is feeling Mm. and i just thought that was so important and so critical and i still do and it's a perspective first person essays that are um, some are some are really light, some are really heavy, um, but it's a reflection of Richmond, and I think it's a it's a really good reflection of what people are going through during this difficult time. Yeah. For your time at home, um, as you had to now balance wife, kid, work, projects, like all the things. Um, have you hit a stride now that feels good? Like, have you figured out, okay, this is, this is how we're going to run things. Like I, I know how to spend time with the people and be authentic to who I am here at home. And I got a job to do. Like, were you able to kind of settle? Is it, is it settled in now? Or are you still trying to figure out the right way to balance all the things you're doing? I mean, to be frank, virtual school was new this week, right? <laughs> so we started virtual kindergarten um, yeah. at home this week. And, and that was new, but I'll, I'll tell you what, and this kind of alludes back to your original question about just identity and, and branding is I made a decision. I can't remember when it wasn't immediately, but it was probably somewhere in between 2015. So maybe halfway through mm-hmm. the cheats movement evolution that I, I made a decision where like there was going to be no real brand separation between the cheats movement and, and Mark Cheatham or cheats. Right. Hmm. So the way the brand lives is the way I live and, and vice versa. And I w- and nothing was really going to be off limits. Um, so there's some people that are like, Oh, I'm going to have an Instagram page, but I'm not going to show my kids or mm-hmm. I'm going to have this, you know, company over here, but it's not going, I'm, I'm not going to tell people where I work professionally. And, that type of stuff went out the window because <laughs> mm-hmm. it was really hard too. It, I will be frank. It was yeah. really hard to maintain, if you will, like a dual existence. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and I laughed early on where I would meet people working for Tim Kane and I would say, Oh, I know you, I'm, you know, I'm cheats and so forth. And they'd be like, no, <laughs> like you can't be the same guy that, 
runs this blog and worked here. Yeah. Or I'd, I'd get people that would say, uh, hey, man, if I see you with your hat on, you're cheats. If I don't see you with your hat on, yeah. you're yeah. like Mark Cheatham. And I'm like, nope, pretty much wore my hat everywhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, And so, but, but to, to get back to it, once that line just really just became who I was, mm-hmm. um, it, I felt like I hit my stride in that sense. Um, several years ago, because again, nothing, um, nothing was a surprise anymore. Nothing was off limits. And mm-hmm. that like, it wasn't like I was trying to balance out what cheats movement does versus who Mark Cheatham is like, no, it's all, it's, it's all the same. And it makes my life a lot more manageable mm-hmm. that there's nothing that I feel like is off limits or nothing. I feel like is hiding. And, and that, so that's helped me hit a stride. And again, 2020 is a whole different animal in that sense. I'm a very, I'm an extroverted person like you are. I like to, to go out and see people. I like to touch people. I like to hug people. I, I haven't hugged anyone since March, right? <laughs> yeah. I haven't been outside. We, um, especially with a five-year-old at home, yeah. we, we haven't, you know, we're, you know, I think he's hugged his grandparents once mm. since this whole thing started. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> Labor Day, all right, hug your mom, grandma with your mask on and get back over here. Like, yeah. so that stuff, I don't know when we're going to get back to a full stride type thing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm able to balance my life. Being at home all the time um, honestly allows me, like any of the conflicts that we would have between work life and blog balance was just time management mm-hmm. i'm home all the time there's mm-hmm. no you know you know you know where i'm gonna be you know where you can find me and and that actually gives a lot of stability to my family and so uh, some things that were quote unquote you know we have to really balance out schedules and balance out certain things and is this important do you have to go to this place um all of that stuff's been eliminated so yeah <laughs> it's been <laughs> it's been a lot easier <laughs> The, in that sense like this this 10 year journey of you really settling into who you are and now you know hat on husband dad writer publisher um your career in politics all these things have come together uh how does that how, when you think about that and raising a young black man like how do you now think about like his journey and that moment where he's going to figure out who he is authentically. Cause like you had to do that. Like you, you were raised by your folks and you kind sure. of found your space. And now I'm wondering if, the, if you were raising of your son's going to be a little bit different than how your parents kind of groomed you just given where you're given like this moment now and where you are in the journey. You know, I think it's maybe it's a testament to my parents and, and Aria's uh, parents as mm-hmm. well. Because we do see ourselves doing a lot of things that our parents did. Hmm. Um, and so at the time, I'm sure growing up um, with my parents, I was like, this is, I'm not going to do this when I, <laughs> like, whenever I have kids, I'm not going to do what they're doing. Yeah. But I find myself doing a lot of exactly what my parents did. And, and to an extent, Aria, um, does a lot of stuff that her mother did, Mm -hmm. uh, does, you know, did while we were raising. And so the combination of that, uh, raising Cameron in this environment, I think 
the time is going to dictate some things that are done differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he will have different sensibilities than maybe me and Arya did growing up, mm-hmm. um, whether that's good or, or bad. But I, it's really we do a lot of the same stuff, mm. and and it's I, again, it's a credit to them. Yeah. It's a credit to my parents and, and Ari's parents because at the time I thought they were crazy. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'll never forget. This is just one that, that comes back to me all the time is that I really thought growing up that <laughs> I thought my parents were basically racist growing up. Yeah. And I thought that because they would always like, they would never miss an opportunity to tell me I'm black. <laughs> Like never, and I grew up in in the West End, Henrico, and and Glen Allen, and and I went to Henrico County West End schools. So there was always um, a mixture. You know, we were always the minority, even mm-hmm. if it felt like we were at a very diverse school. Uh, black and brown kids were always a minority in those schools, and so we would have friends from all walks of life. And most, and again, most people were kind and those same things, but it, like little things like. Hey, I'm going over to my friend's house. My mom would be like, "Are you sure you're going over your friend's house?" Like, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, "It's fine." And they'd be, they would tell me things. They would always just have these reminders that you have to carry yourself differently or think about things, certain things differently because mm-hmm. you were young and black and 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 a boy. And it got to the point at some point where I was like, "Just, I, I get it. Like, stop. <laughs> like, I understand." And I would just find these things so annoying at the time. Mm. And what I found out later in life is that they were teaching me about my identity and to take pride in my identity. Mm -hmm. And they would take to, you know, they would go out of their way to teach me history that wasn't in, you know, history books or Mm. really show me movies that of, of individuals of heroes that they would never show me in school. And I wouldn't have got if it wasn't for them teaching me. And so I'd be like, Oh, I've got to sit down and watch this. (laughs) (laughs) why like what's going on and uh now it's like uh i appreciate it to the utmost and and we early on again cameron doesn't know we're doing it but you know we're reading you know young black einstein hero books like Mm. you know what i mean like these are your 50 black heroes that you need to learn to before you go to bed every night Mm. and he just does the same thing we did we were kids like why do i have to do this but (laughs) I think again, unless the education system dramatically changes, yeah, we're not going to get that. So he's not going to know who certain individuals are unless we teach them ourselves. He's not going to know about, uh, you know, he's not going to know about the Negro leagues, mm. like like and things that like I'll put a Negro league hat on him. He'll be like, you know, this isn't the Yankees. I'll be like, oh no, <laughs> it's something else. <laughs> it's the Black Yankees back before, and, and so you know, I I, I just. I, we find ourselves doing a lot of the stuff that our parents has done to to make sure that we know who our identity is, mm-hmm. um, and I and I and I find myself doing that. And now again, we have twenty twenty examples like uh, Monument Avenue, um, the way it's is constructed now, and Arthur Ashe being on that street. We have the Kahinde Wiley uh, mm-hmm. Rumors of War statue at the VMFA. So there are places I can take him and teach him that, like, yo, I didn't have this growing up. This is new. Mm. And this is changing because of the times. And so 
I take great pride in being able to do that. But do you, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know who he, ultimately who he's going to be. He's yeah. he's funny, you know. He's he tells really good jokes. Uh, <laughs> he's again a little bit more sensitive than me and Arya have been, and I think that's he's an only child. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to who he becomes. Right? Yeah. Do Do you have? Um heroes in richmond like are there are there black people you look at that are just like folks that you just described as honor to or like or they're a contemporary and you're like that brother that sister they they're just dope and what they do is dope and i'm just a fan of of who they are it's weird yes of course but it's weird because a lot of my contemporaries are peers that i think are just like I know they're doing amazing stuff, yeah. But we're all kind of in it together. I feel like um, I'll look at the way that Cam- Cameron responds to something that like Hamilton Class does, yeah. And the fact that he knows Hamilton Class and he knows, uh, you know, he'll be like, "Uncle Hamilton did this," and it's <laughs> like oh, this big thing. Yeah. Or um, you know, he was singing. Cameron was singing a Radio B song the other day. And these are just, like I said, just friends or contemporaries that will come over the house or, yeah. or something of that nature. But it's really cool that, like, my son can sing a Radio B song, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, um, you know, the contemporary stuff and to see how, like, younger folks respond to it um, is really cool. There are, like, the fact that he know like, the fact that he can walk up to Mayor Stoney mm-hmm. and, like, I, I remember I was at a, the Freedom Classic, um, whenever we had the Freedom Classic before, it was like last year, probably feels like five years ago now. Yeah. And I told Cam to walk up to the mayor and punch him. <laughs> I was like, punch him. See that guy? I walk up to him and punch him in. And he was like, I'm not going to do that. But he walks up to LeVar Stoney and he's like, my daddy told me to punch you, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and then he's like, who's your dad? And he's like pointing over. Um, so, it, but I, and I, I don't know if I have quote unquote, the hero perspective the right way. Mm-hmm. But um, I know that, you know, my contemporaries are doing things that are really cool. Um, it's cool that like my boss who I look up to all the time. So Tim Kane is, is somebody I've worked for since 2004 mm-hmm. consecutively. Like I've never had another professional job. Mm. And the fact that, you know, he's known Cameron his whole life. Yeah. Um, it's just cool to me. Like, yeah. it's just cool that, um, you know, Senator Tim Kaine, who, who we just call, like, he calls him, like, I don't know what he calls him now. And I think it's like Uncle Senator Tim or something weird. Cause we <laughs> had to give some type of formal title to it. Yeah. But the, uh, uh, the fact that he can just like, you walk up and be like, Oh, it's, you know, Oh, that's just Tim Kaine. Like, mm-hmm. that's really weird because there are people that have lived that live in Virginia all their lives that like he's a U.S. senator. So he, obviously he's tries to be accessible, but there'll be people that mm. have never seen, you know, a U.S. senator or never the nominee for vice president or something of that nature. Like they've never been able to be up close to those folks. And my, and my kid will probably grow up taking that stuff for granted. So that stuff's cool, right? Yeah. Like that, that I, I, I find that stuff really, really fun. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but there's there, yeah, there's tons of heroes. There's we have, uh, you know, as long as knock on wood, as long as they're alive, we have living legends. Richmond has a way of 
almost downplaying our historical uh, hmm. place mm-hmm. in, in a way where it's like Oliver Hill should be everywhere. Right. Right. Like he should be everywhere uh, for better or for worse. Doug Wilder should be everywhere. Hmm. Like these are not normal. Henry Marsh. These are not normal yeah. human beings. Yeah. These are he like real heroes. And I think, you know, a, a day will come where, you know, w- hopefully they get their, their dues the right way. But the, like, we have so many living legends mm-hmm. in Richmond that um, are, it's just really, really impressive. It was special. So we've got Henry Marsh Elementary right here yep. in Churchill now. Uh, and he got to walk through the door. Which is so cool. It's so, Which and, is so cool. Yeah, like it's, you know, we all, you know, we give people flowers while they're living, like when we get a yeah. chance to do that. And like it was just dope to see that he got to see a school with his name on it. Yeah, and, and Walter, Walter has a, a middle yeah. school out. And uh, yeah, Walter has a middle school out. So, but yeah, like, yeah, we, we have some really, really legendary kind of folks that, we're doing some really, you know, they're doing really amazing things. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a time period in Richmond that's a little bit lost. And it's a time period. One of my buddies, Julian Hader, uh, who's a professor at the University of Richmond, mm. really focuses on what, I, what a lot of folks consider the lost years of like Richmond politics. And it's that time when Henry Marsh became the first African-American mayor of the city of Richmond yeah. up until, you know, I don't know, somewhere up until like the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. But, and and all the stuff that happened during that time. Mm -hmm. And man, the characters and the history that was being made during that time, again, for better or for worse, Mm -hmm. um, it's just, we have some really historic things that have have always happened in in Richmond. And it's just, it's amazing. (laughs) When you think about where we're headed, right? So we've got, we're going to keep living through a pandemic and some kind of vaccine. We're going to be in an economic recovery crisis moment, you know, as we keep this thing going. We'll figure out how to hug each other again, uh, how to get back to going to shows and doing festivals and all the things we do. What are you holding on to that gives you some, some hope of Richmond being, you know, a better place for my daughter, your son, a place we can continue to work and contribute? Like what's, What's giving you some hope as you think about where we're where we're headed next? Uh, and, I mean, the people, so the community and the people and the will of the community to try to be better is always kind of what I hold on to. So the humanity of kind of the people of Richmond mm-hmm. is is always something that I am optimistic about. Mm-hmm. I am not. With that caveat, I've got to say, I think some of the mistakes that have been made from the very beginning of the pandemic going through to where we are now is that we have had this attitude throughout the whole beginning that it's okay, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, it is, it's spreading, but it's going to be like the flu. Mm-hmm. Okay. No matter what, we have to get back to work. Mm-hmm. We got to get people out of their houses. We've got to act as if things are normal. We've got to play sports and, and give people outlets. I know that it is very difficult to not quote unquote, live your life mm-hmm. and not 
you know, be kind of a victim or, or, or so, you know, someone of everything that's going on. But I think one of the mistakes that we've, we often make when big things are happening in the world or in the country is that we try to act as if we're going to get back to normal sooner than later. Mm. <laughs> and so, um, or we try to act as if like, we've just, we're exhausted of this problem. So instead of solving, we just move on. Mm. And I think, <clears throat> I say that because I think that it's going to be a much longer, more difficult haul than people truly imagine. Um, you know, we're over 6 million people infected. We're over 180 um, individuals that lost their lives due to coronavirus. Yeah. And if it's still spreading, yeah. we don't have right now at this time, we don't have a vaccine. We don't have, you know, we have, I think a couple of announced um, vaccines in stage three public trials. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have some therapeutic medicines for people in really ill positions that will that will help a little bit. But if we really put in perspective what we have from what we had in, in March when we kind of shut down the country, we don't have much. We don't have anything. And so the idea is that we really needed to rush people back with nothing changed. Right. Right. Yeah. Outside of, we know if you wear your mask, you wash your hands and you stay away from people, we're better off. <laughs> right. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. And that, and that's important. Yeah. Wearing your mask is important. Staying away from people and washing your hands is extremely important. I am challenged by the dauntingness of this task um, in regards to when we get back to quote unquote, something that resembles a normal setting. Mm. And I feel as if, even if they said there's a vaccine that we know works tomorrow, there's a lot of people that aren't going to take it. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of people that aren't going to have access to take it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people now that are afraid to go to the doctor. I, I don't know how many people that are, are going to have medical conditions that go undetermined for so long. Cause they're just afraid to go to the yeah. doctor. Right. Yeah. So, um, I say all that to say I feel as if there's a lot of optimism in humanity and the people of our community in Richmond. Um, but I also feel as if we're really still in the second ending of, of not any game or a 30, which is mm. scary, right? Mm -hmm. Because back in the summer, we were like, Oh man, we're probably in, ending number three or four yeah. and i'm like I, i'm i'm now i'm starting to understand that this is uh a task that you know we've never taken on globally ever before and i do think that unfortunately the pattern that we see whether it's civil unrest and social justice whether it's wildfires in different parts of california or the world mm. um whether it's, you know, the climate issue that we're going to be facing in the future, we're just going to have these major, major daunting tasks. Um, and, and we're, you know, we're going to have to figure out one by one how to respond to these things. And so I, I'm definitely challenged uh, by raising children, young children in that environment. Um, but also, I see people, like I said, in Richmond, people like you, people like uh, a bunch of our contemporaries and friends and people that really, really mean well and want to do really good things for community and, and that stuff, you know, we're going to be doing as well as the people are doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if the people are 
are optimistic and doing well. I think we're going to be optimistic and, and doing well. Um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge because more people are hurting than ever before, too. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I, I think that we've got, um, we've got some people with real conviction, real talent, real expertise, and they want to they want to invest and do the work to give us a shot. Like, there's no guarantee, but like, there's things I think we can do just to give us a shot. And, right. yeah, yeah. you know, we pursue more justice. We pursue equity across all the areas um, that, that need it and try to set us up for an opportunity to be to be a better city. Can, well, can I say one thing about because you, you, you sparked something that makes me think and, and it goes back to what we were talking about, about just like I started our blog, my blog, because of representation in the media. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is so critically important that. I don't know if we're missing or it's just representation across the board matters so much. Mm. Um, whether it's in, in business or in, uh, you know, the justice field. So whether it's in politics and elected officials, I, I just feel as if the more um, people that can represent different viewpoints that we can get in these pipelines and these systems, the better off we're going to be to change the system. Mm-hmm. So, and I say that especially because we're obviously are in a period like no other when we're talking about social justice mm-hmm. and reform. And everyone is focused obviously in November on the presidential election in Richmond. You can't go anywhere without people focused on um, local elections and the mayor's race. And I think that stuff is really good. I often wonder when I talk to people about this, they're, you know, they're, you know, change the school board, city council, change the police chief. And yes, if, if that needs to be done, go ahead and do those things. Mm-hmm. But when I talk about representation, what is the racial makeup of our judges? Mm-hmm. What is our racial makeup of our prosecutors and public defenders? Yeah. And as long as there's still like, you know, upper eighties to lower nineties or mid nineties, old white men as the ones that are actually being the judges that are handing out the sentences Mm -hmm. justice is going to be difficult (laughs) right like we've got to realize that there's more to uh kind of there are more to certain aspects of this stuff if you know i understand the 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 stuff the the debate and the really serious conversation around policing in our city Mm -hmm. and policing in the nation when we look at the makeup of the police force, how many of those police officers are in representation and in, in conversation and dialogue with the city that they're they're hired to protect mm-hmm. or the county that they're hired to protect? How many, uh, I think the study that I saw said, before you can really change the climate of a police force, you need, in regards to social justice and racial equity, you need, I think the threshold is like 40% of the the department needs mm. to be African-American or, or minority. 40%. Mm. So what we're seeing now is like, you know, you hire five or six officers in a 80-officer department, and you're going to those five or six folks to mm-hmm. change the culture. And it's like, that's never going to work. Like, yeah. that's, you really, so it, I, I'm interested at the very least and challenged in a way because i think represent 
representation matters so much. And a lot of these jobs are just not going to be appealing to our young people. I don't know who wants to be police chief now. I don't know who wants to be mayor now. I don't know who wants to be, you know, Commonwealth attorney now. Like, it's really difficult to to figure that stuff out. But I think we need to figure out how, if we're going to really change the system and change democracy, it's not going to be an overthrow. I don't think. This is just my personal opinion. I don't think you're going to over overthrow the government as we know it. I think you're going to have to flood um, these entities and these institutions with people that think differently. Yeah. More overwhelmed than overflow than uh, overthrow. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's, uh, that's, I mean, again, none of this may not work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the approach um, has to be more people that think differently mm-hmm. added to the, not, and I'm not saying, especially when I look at systematic institutions and especially when I look at um, government, I'm not saying people shouldn't take to the streets because I think that's needed as well. Mm-hmm. I think that activists and activism, um, there's, there's a, there's a part of that that needs to be on the outside, kicking down the door to the inside. What I am saying is that we need people on the inside too, mm-hmm. that good people on the inside that really want to have a heart and an olive branch for change. And that's how it's going to work. Yeah. It can't just be one way or the other. And it can't just be the inside dictating to, to the outside what's happening. So that's right. That's right. Well, man, we, you know, we could do this all day. We could, but, uh, you know, we, we got stuff to do. It's Saturday. Uh, I, again, I just appreciate you, who you are, um, and our, and our friendship and relationship and just, you know, you're, you're, you're one of the people, you know, when I look to the right and left of me, who's just out here using what they have and who they are to try and make a difference. You're one of those people. So um, I appreciate you. Appreciate you jumping on the podcast. We got through all our technical difficulties and made it work. Oh man. <laughs> the, the world doesn't know. Nah, the world doesn't know how, uh, how difficult it was this morning to get everything set up. But I will say this, um, like you were saying, uh, it, it's a mutual feeling and it is um, you're one of the people I look to where if I don't know, something about anything i'm like yeah i bet you todd knows about. i know todd can todd can help me out with this todd can and it's not just um things that are on the surface obviously we've had a lot of conversations about just things when i'm thinking through stuff um where i'm like yo what do you think about this And, and i've always appreciated the way the perspective that you bring to any uh any conversation i know i'm in a good place if you're there so appreciate it brother yeah as always thank you Thanks again to Mark for jumping on the podcast, thecheatsmovement.com. That is where you can find all of their content. Cheats underscore RVA. That's them on Instagram. But there's a lot on that website. So go check out thecheatsmovement.com. And sometimes it's actually on the air. You can actually hear his show on WRIR 97.3 if you're hanging out here in Richmond. So go check all that out. Spotlight for this episode the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities. They are all about achieving success through inclusion. And they're doing that by working with schools and businesses and communities to achieve success by addressing prejudices in all forms. And they do that in order to improve academic achievement, increase workplace productivity, 
and just to enhance local trust. And they do that through some workshops and retreats and customized programs. They can raise awareness that way. They can motivate. They can improve people's skills. You can learn more about Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities and how they're being helpful in our in our state, in our community here in Virginia, inclusiveva.org, inclusiveva.org, Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities. As always, as always, as always, I hope that you are doing your best to take care of yourself. We're about to change seasons, and so that season of depression sometimes comes up. So make sure you know the good, comforting, supportive, helpful places, the life-giving places for you to care for your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, every aspect. Uh, If you need help, ask for help. If you need to connect with people, connect with people. Talk to them, text them, whatever you can do just so that you are in a good place. And then let's make sure we're taking care of each other. Follow up on people, check up on people, show them some love, show them some concern, and let's just do our best to, uh, to be there for one another. I thank you for supporting 40 Lessons, for listening to it, for checking it out. Like I said, if you have not checked out the previous episodes in this season or any of our previous seasons, go do that, and we will see you soon. We'll bring it back for another season sometime later, but we're going to take a little break, do some other things. Thank you guys so much. Talk to you soon. Make your skin shine up a little bit. It's a yeah, it's a glow up, but it's not. It's not really. I mean, again, is this is this on video or just on? Yeah, right? yeah, the video is just so we can see each other. I'm not. I'm not gonna use this for the podcast. You should be uh, very impressed with your video setup. You could do some significant. This is like television studio level. <laughs> but again, but it's the camera's not coming from your laptop. No, it's it's a Logitech. So I bought I bought a camera. So it's up here. Okay, and yeah. you put it on top of your laptop. I because it's on a tripod. Okay. So I've got the tripod it, and the lighting all set up here. Right. And that flows into the computer. Okay, but it's a logic. Send me the link because that looks immaculate, and it's uh, and know, it's and I'm I not can't. and it's the lighting too because I'm using like I'm using softer light. So I've got two. Send me what you have because there's no going back after. <laughs> there's like the, I mean it's insane it looks insane there's no going back like you really should do shows yeah like you really should if you haven't thought about it you really should it's insane there's really no going back after this it's amazing you, your setup looks amazing I mean you don't you don't you're not shining you're not like it's like you're a makeup person I want to look good for you man this is you look, and it's like it looks like you're doing MSNBC or ESPN. That's what it looks like. Yeah. All right, I'm enough. I'm gonna get off. <laughs> you, get, you get the point. You know how I feel. I think you like it. That's oh cool. my god, that's amazing. <laughs>